Thank you all for the good singing this morning. And appreciate the presence of the Lord. Amen. If you'll stand with us for the reading of God's Word, Genesis chapter number 4 this morning. I just want to read one verse of Scripture. And uh, Genesis chapter number 4. And, uh, you know, sometimes the Lord, you can't never duplicate the presence of God. And uh, God doesn't always do the same thing, does he? Sometimes we'll come in here, and I mean, it'll be on cloud nine, high octane. That's the way I like every service. Don't y'all like it that way? I don't like Presbyterian services. Amen. I like it when we shout. But uh, sometimes, well, just God will just settle in. Amen. And you have to discern that too. Yeah, knowing when to do, when knowing the will of God, discernment, sometimes knowing when to do something, and it's knowing when not to do something. Amen. And uh, I, I like real worship, don't you? Amen. Uh, sometimes it's real good, sometimes it's real dead, but at least it's real. Isn't that right? Amen. Not real dead. It's not dead this morning, but I'm saying real dead. You know what to do? It'll make it. It'll make it good when it's real good. Amen. I don't like fake worship. Do you? Amen. You don't got to pump and prime the Holy Spirit when He's working and He's moving. Sometimes He's doing things we can't even see. It's like she sang a while ago. We we see mountains, but God sees both sides of that mountain. Amen. Abraham went up one side of that mountain, but God had a ram going up the other side. And God saw both sides of that mountain. He sees both sides of our mountain. And I'm preaching just from one verse of Scripture this morning. Uh, it's just the only, I, I read this text and uh, this verse jumped out to me uh, this week. And uh, just one verse I want to read. It's a familiar text, Genesis 4 and verse number 16. The Bible says, And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelled in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Let's bow for prayer. Father, I want to thank you this morning for the word of God. Thank you for your presence this morning, for the good singing that we've heard, and Lord, for what you've done in our midst already today. Lord, I know that burdens have already been lifted off this altar. We want to praise you for that. We thank you for working in people's lives. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would do the work that no man can do. Lord, I pray this morning that you would hide the flesh, and God, the flesh would not have any dominion, in this message, I pray, Lord, this morning that we would not exalt ourselves. Oh, God, I pray that we'd see an old man save Jesus only. We'll thank you for it. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I know this morning that you're familiar with the story of Cain. I think it was a couple years ago that I preached several sermons here on the life of Cain. Uh, but uh, it's amazing how you can go back to the Word of God and sometimes just in uh, daily Bible reading, God will take a verse that you have read over and maybe even preached several times and heard different men preach on. And for that reason, for, for that time, God will just uh, kindly touch that verse and make it become real to you in a way that maybe you have never thought of or seen before. Now, I am not preaching anything new this morning, but I am preaching something that I feel like the Lord has greatly impressed upon our heart. I, I want you to keep your attention on verse number 16 for just a few moments this morning because the Bible is filled with examples of this truth this morning. I want to preach on the subject, on the solitude of sin. The solitude of sin. When you think about sin in the Word of God, just like redemption, it is woven all through the pages of this book from Genesis to Revelation 
as much as we see the redemption of God, we see the sinfulness of man. And that's mentioned all throughout the Bible. But one of the things that, about sin that I think we ought to pay attention to this morning is the solitude of sin. How that sin drives a man or sin drives a woman into a place of loneliness and emptiness all by themselves. It's seen all throughout the word of God. There are examples of this. I thought about Adam and Eve whenever they sinned in the garden. It was sin that drove them out of that garden and they could no longer walk with God in the cool of the day. You remember Jacob whenever he deceived his father and he stole his father's birthright. The Bible tells us that he left home and he fled to Mesopotamia. And then the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, when he sinned and got into his heart, what did he say to his father? He wanted everything that belonged to him. And the Bible says not many days after, he took his journey into a far country. I'm talking about how sin drives men into solitude. I think about Peter when he cursed the Lord and he denied God. The Bible said he went out and he wept bitterly. Isn't that right? Sin drove the saint out. Even Judas, whenever Judas sinned, the Bible talks about that it was that night that he went out immediately and he uh, went away and he committed that sin. And sin brought Judas to the end of a rope and the end of his life. You see, sin always drives men from the presence of the Lord. It always drives them from the people that they love the most. I'm talking about the solitude of sin. Sin, as the songwriter said, it'll take you further than you want to go. It'll make you pay far more than you want to pay. And it'll keep you longer than what you intended or want to stay. The solitude of sin this morning. I want you to notice in our verse here, number one, I see the sinner. As the Bible highlights the sinner, it says, and Cain. Cain was no ordinary sinner. When you think about who Cain was and you think about where Cain came from, I think about that he was a member of the first family. I mean, Cain had a heritage. Adam was his father. His father grew up in the paradise. He saw the glory of God like no man had ever seen it before. Cain had a rich heritage. His father could talk about the glory days. His father could talk about the days that when he and Eve walked in the cool of the day with God in a perfect body, in a perfect atmosphere. I mean, Cain had a rich heritage. He was a member of the first family. He had been raised right. And then he was a man of the field. God had richly blessed Cain. He had blessed his hands and he was a tiller of the ground. That's what God had left Adam here for. It was to dress the ground. Isn't that right? Cain being the firstborn, he had picked up his father's traits and he was very good at what he had done because God had blessed him and the ground had been good to Cain in a time when the ground was under a curse. But I want to say this morning, Cain was still a sinner regardless of his heritage, regardless of his gift. It would not change the fact of who Cain was. I want to say this morning, it doesn't matter if you have a great heritage. I mean, that's wonderful and that's commendable, but you stand before God as a sinner. It doesn't matter how many gifts and how many talents a man has. Every man needs God. Isn't that right? And every man and every woman, boy and girl, we must humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Who we are and what we do does not stand before God within itself. Amen. 
And so I see that he was a member of the first family. He was a man of the field, but then he was a murderer of his own flesh. Now that's the sinner that Cain was. Cain slew his own brother. Why did he do that? Because of sin. Remember when God spoke to Cain and gave him an opportunity to make it right? He said, if you don't do this, he said, sin lieth at the door. And I want to tell you, friend, listen, Cain, he didn't just kill anybody, but he slew his own flesh. He slew his own brother without a proper cause. Amen. You see, sin will cause you to do things you never thought you would do. Sin will turn you into somebody you never thought you were. At one time, Cain was just a young little infant son. At one time, he was a beautiful little baby. At one time, he was a precious little toddler. He was a strong and healthy teenager, but sin was growing in Cain's heart. He knew how to sacrifice. He knew what it took to, to, to meet the standard of God. He had been taught well, but Cain went his own way. Cain decided to do his own thing, and Cain murdered his own flesh and blood. You know, when people sin, they'll turn on the people that love them the most. And I want to tell you, when they sin, they will always kill their brethren. Brother, when people leave a church, when they get out into sin, the solitude of sin drives them away from the church. They may stay here a week, they may stay here a year, they may sit in church for 10 years, but if they don't get that sin right, there is coming a day when they will walk away from the good place, the good church that they have been in all of their life. They may join another church down the road and carry on with some formality of religion and it may even be a good church, but they're not where they're supposed to be at. They're not in the place that God put them. They're not where God had once blessed them. Sin has drove them away from the presence of God in their life. Some will go so far out into sin that when they get out there, like any other sinner, they'll blame the church. They'll blame the pastor. They'll blame the youth group. They'll blame some deacon. They'll blame some Sunday school teacher. You know what amazes me? That does not amaze me because that's what people do. Sin drives them away and they play the blame game. That goes all the way back to the book of Genesis, doesn't it? Amen? But what surprises me is the family members and the church members that buy into their excuses and prop their excuses up and they say, well, you know, I, I understand. I don't know why people treat you that way. I'm telling you this morning... Don't prop their excuses, huh? When they get out in sin, you ought to have enough godliness and enough character to say, now stop that. You know better than that. You're living the way you're living by your own choice and your own means. Huh? Don't you blame the church. Don't you blame the pastor. Don't you blame anybody else. Huh? Hey, friend, if you prop their excuses up, you're not helping them. You're hindering them. Can I get an amen right there? Brother, I'm telling you, listen, I, I had a family member, they went and visited a church and they I, I really pushed for them to go visit a good church. If I called this church's name, probably everybody would know this church. And they went there and I said, well, how did it go? I was trying to help them get in church and they had one excuse after another. Well, people treated me like I had the plague. Members didn't treat me right. You know what I said to them? I said, that's hogwash. Amen, y'all with me, aren't you? Come on now, I have to get the bottle over here. Hey man, spray some of you. I'm gonna keep that bottle, I can tell you right now. I said, y'all know what hogwash is. I don't gotta define that. Wouldn't want to this morning. I said, that's hogwash. I said, I know that church. I know that pastor and I know them people. Maybe 99 people didn't shake your hand, but I said, and this is a family member. I said, you know what the problem is? You need to get right with God. 
and you're coming to church and yes, you're gonna feel condemned and yes, you're not gonna feel like you're supposed to be. You, you were welcome, but you didn't feel comfortable. You know why? Because you got sin in your life, amen? Don't aid them and listen, don't prop them up when they get out in sin. You do like them old timers used to and you look at them with grace and love in your heart and you tell them the truth because if you aid them, you are hindering them. You are not helping them. You're giving them a reason not to come back. You know what I taught my kids growing up? You can disagree with this or maybe you agree with it. It doesn't make no difference. I know it's right. I taught my children the church is always right. Always right. Growing up in a pastor's home, they saw things that I wish they'd have never saw. Heard things I wish they'd have never heard. But when there sets one of them today, she'll tell you the truth. When they would come home and they got older, and said, Daddy, I don't understand this. You know what I told them? The church is always right. I never slandered the church. I never talked about the members in front of them. I never said, well, this one's this way or that. No, the church is always right. You say, why? Because I wanted them to grow up with that mentality. I didn't want them bitter at the church. I didn't want them bitter at some church member. I didn't want some, some church member to be an excuse for them to go out and live in sin. I want them to know no matter what you see or what you think, the end result is the church is always right. Now, were they always right? You know that as well as I do. But I'm telling you, listen, there's a principle that must be laid out. And if we're ever gonna win sinners, uh, we've got to put them in their place. And you can do that in love and mercy. Thank God for some preachers. Thank God for some people. When I was a sinner, they didn't aid my sin. They didn't prop up my sin. They told it like it was, amen. I see the sinner secondly. I see the separation. Notice the Bible says in Cain, now watch this. The Bible says he went out. You know what sin does? It separates Cain is separated from his family, the ones that the, the, the loved ones, those people that loved him. He's separated from his friends, his loyal ones, those that had been faithful to him. He's now going out from them. He's separated from the field, the land that he grew up in. He's leaving home. He's leaving familiar places. And most of all, he is separated from his faith. He is going out from the presence of the Lord. Sin will drive you away from everything that's ever been good in your life. A lady looked at me one day and she said, you think Bible Baptist is the only church for, for me to go to? I said, absolutely, without a doubt. She said, you think if me and my husband leave here, we're out of the will of God? I said, 150%. You said, how could you say that? Because it's true. I'm gonna lie to her. Are we going to let them think they could go join some church down the road that just because they were King James and old-fashioned and shouted that they were in the will of God? I think people, you owe them the truth. Is that right? I said, absolutely. She said, what makes you think that? I said, you got saved here. Your husband got saved here. Your, your, your daughter got saved here. Your brother got saved here. Your daddy got saved here. Your other brother got saved here. And we haven't changed our doctrine. Amen. There's nothing immoral going on here. So you have no reason to leave. They left anyway. I knew they would. But I wanted them to know the truth. And I said it with love. I said it with tears. My wife did too. I said, you're getting out of the will of God. You know why they left? Because sin had already got in their home. Today they have a broken home. The husband's in prison. The daughter's a homosexual. Well, if they could have seen all that, sin drives you away. 
used to sit in Sunday school, used to sit where some of you are sitting this morning. Oh, it could be said about every church, but you know this as well as anybody. We could build a church 10 times this size and we could fill it up if, and probably over, we could run it over if we just had all the people from 1961 to now that has passed through these doors that at one time they got right with God. At one time they were where they were supposed to be at, but sin separated them. You know what the amazing thing about pastoring is? 10 years from now, the great question is, who will be here? I know some will go home to be with the Lord but who will still be here? Who will still be sitting in these pews listening to the sermon, serving God in the same place? You young people hear me well. You ought to grow up. You grew up in the church your mom and dad brought you to and it ought to be, listen, unless God calls you to the mission field or or listen, you marry as some preacher or marry off somewhere, you ought to stay in the same church. You ought to have some longevity in church membership. You ought to work in that same church that your family raised you in. You ought to raise your family in that same church. Don't let the devil slide you a bill and say, well, you know, maybe you can go over here and serve God. I'm talking about sin separates, friend. There are people, they get the far away look in their eyes long before they leave. You know that if God don't do something, they're going to leave. Can I tell you something about leaving a good church? You don't get, things don't get better, they get worse. I have no idea why I'm preaching this this morning, but I know God knows. Can I tell you this morning, sin always subtracts from your life. It never adds anything positive or good. Sin will divide, it'll destroy, and it'll detach your life from those things that have been a great blessing to your life. Can I tell you something? I thank God for the church, amen. I thank God for, I'm not saying that because I'm a preacher, and I'm not saying that because I'm a pastor. I'm telling you, friend, listen, if I resign right now, I need a good church to go to. I need a place for me and my wife to worship. I need a place to, listen, I thank God for a place to have taken my children and raised them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Don't you thank God for a church, amen? And if the church is that wonderful and if the church is that good in our life, don't you know the devil will do anything and everything and he will never stop at trying to get you out of that church. Get you away from that preaching. Get you away from that old-fashioned teaching, that old-fashioned shouting. I want to say this to every parent. When your child becomes teenagers, that's when the battle intensifies. Do you know that there are empty places in our church today because mom and dad loved Jesus and served God until their child became old enough to go to the prom? They became old. Boy, I got quiet when I said that. Became old enough to go to the prom. Became old enough to, to go to the activities of of high school events, and I'm not saying, I, I believe you have to pray about your child's education. I've seen kids live for God in public schools. I've seen kids live for God homeschool and Christian school, and I've seen them not live for God in all three situations. So you gotta be prayed up and spirit-led in what you do. I'm not gonna tell you how to educate your children for one good reason. If they turn out dumb, you're not blaming me, amen? It's, it may be the school's fault or it can be your fault, but it ain't my fault, amen? So I've had people say, how do you think people ought to school their kids? Is, they ought to school them the way that God tells them to. But I will tell you what is wrong is when you teach them something all their adolescent years that's right and then you unravel when they turn 15, 16, and 17. 
Brother, I'm telling you, it's not time to loosen up in the biggest battle years of their life. It's time to, uh, to tighten down the hatches. It's time to, to pull in the, uh, the slack. It's time to stand in a time when it counts. So, well, they may not always like it. Well, they didn't like brushing their teeth. They didn't like making their bed. And you made them do that because you thought it was important. I'm gonna tell you, this is a whole lot more important. Don't throw your convictions out the window when they start getting in the war the teenage years of their life. I remember setting our girls down and saying, hey, if we're not loosening up, we're going to tighten up. And mom and dad's going to tighten up. And, and we're going we're gonna to hold her tight till, till you get out of here and we walk you down that aisle. You know why? Because it's worth it, friend. It's worth it. To, sin will separate your children from you. Amen. I'll say this while they're young. You better pour all the God in them you can. I really think what happens when they're an infant and they're, they're adolescent or they're, they're, the adolescent years prepares them for those teenage years. I'm talking about the separation. Then I, I see the sadness. Notice this. The Bible said that Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. Cain didn't just go on a journey. Cain ran from God's presence. He's full of rebellion, so he flees the presence of God. You know why people leave an old fire? I don't know why I'm preaching that this morning. I cannot get off of it. You know why people leave an old-fashioned church? Simple, it's not me, it's not you. It's the presence of God. You gotta go somewhere where it's a little easier. Well, there's not so many boundaries. Well, there's not so many people that, that they, they, they can't stand being around them people that just, you know, they're old fogies, they're old fashioned, they're, they're out of touch with the world because they're too in touch with heaven. And, and I want to tell you, they want to go someplace where the lights are turned down low and maybe where the preacher doesn't wear a tie. They want to go someplace where, uh, listen, they got the funny music and they got the, the weird lighting or maybe they don't even want to do that. They just want to go someplace where it's big and dead, where they can kindly blend in and live how they please and do what they will. I want to tell you something, friend. Listen, the, 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 the thing that misses the most in all of them things is the presence of God. What makes this church so special? It's not because I'm here. It's not because you're here. There is a presence that if he don't show up, we might as well turn the lights out and go home because you didn't come to see me and I didn't come to see you. But oh, unto God, we need heaven to walk up and down our aisles. We need the presence of God. Would that he would breathe on the singing, that he would breathe on the preacher. It's no good without him, amen. There's pretty singing and there's spirit-filled singing, amen. And you gotta know the difference. Somebody say amen. Doesn't matter if you hit every note and you ought to try to hit every note. But if you don't hit every note, it doesn't make no difference this morning. The singing can be beautiful, but if it's about you and it's not about him or if you're not living right, if you got sin in your life and, and listen, it's not in your heart and you're separated from God within here, you can hit every note, you can hit every key, but it'll have no touch of God on it. I'm telling you, friend, this morning, preaching is no good if it's just an outline, if it's just information, but we need him, don't don't we? we need God to work and God to move in our presence and in our midst. The greatest fear of every preacher ought to be this, that we would stand alone behind this desk. He ran from God's presence. He ran from God's punishment. He was full of repercussions. God put a mark on Cain and he thought if he, I really believe this. I think based on scriptures, if Cain would have fell on his face, he would have still suffered the consequences as David did. But he could have found mercy and forgiveness. But instead, he just decided to, to run. 
Don't run from God, run to God. Don't cover your sin and act like it's not there. Don't dress it up and make it look pretty because the eyes of God, it still looks the same. You say, well, preacher, what do I do? Confess it. Forsake it. If Cain would have agreed with God against himself, Cain could have found mercy. He ran from God's presence. He ran from God's punishment. And he ran from God's pardon. He's full of resistance. You know, it's foolish to try to run from God because God's everywhere. No matter where you run, you can't hide from God. He's going to be there. God has a way of getting his message across no matter what. I knew a man that came to our church one time. He wasn't first time, he was a first time visitor. And he walked in on a Sunday night and he hadn't talked to his wife for two solid weeks. And we were praying for this man. And there was a preacher up here preaching. And he wasn't even preaching on the home. And in the middle of that sermon, he stopped. In the middle of the sermon, he stopped and he said, oh, you're real spiritual. He said, you think you can talk to God and not talk to your wife? And me and my wife were the only two people that knew that. I about fell out of my seat. You know what ran through my mind? Oh, Lord. This guy's going to think I told the preacher. I hadn't even talked to the preacher. He'd never, this visitor had never been to our church. He came in and sat there and bam. Don't you like it when God does that? I mean, like a Mack truck, God hit him right between the eyes. And I sat there and I said, Lord, please let this man know that I haven't said a word. I would never tell a preacher anything when he's preaching for us. That man came to the altar and got right with God. He got right with his wife. He never had the first conversation with me. He never told anybody. I never said nothing to him. I never told the preacher. The preacher doesn't know this to this day. But God, you can't run from God. You think you can go somewhere else? God just got a way of ringing our bell no matter where we go. And if you did succeed, if somehow God did allow you to go so far that you could get away from his presence and not have to listen to his voice and live as you please and do as you will without him ever reprimanding you down here for what you did. Oh, what a sad place to be in. I see the sadness. I see the settlement. Look, the Bible says that Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and he dwelt in the land of Nod, east of Eden. He found a place to live. He lived in sin and stubbornness and in solitude. Cain built a city, but yet in that city he still felt miserable, empty. The mark was still upon his life. His life was never the same. And can I tell you, to get away from the presence of God, you may fulfill what you want to fulfill. Your dreams, so to speak, may come true, but how empty they'll leave you. I mean, a man builds a city, but he does it out of the will of God. You know, just because people accomplish great things doesn't mean they're right. We live in a day when we're so driven by results that if we see something that looks good, if it looks big, if it looks positive, well, God must, they must be right with God. Look what's happening. Look how their life is going. Look how they're prospering. Oh, they must, they must be, they must not be right with God because, or, or they must be right with God because I, I know what preachers said, I know what the Bible said, but look, he built a city. I don't know anybody that built a city, do you? You know. The bottom line today is this. It doesn't matter what we do. 
It doesn't matter how we prosper. What matters is what God said. It's so amazing the people that will throw that out the window many times just for results sake. I would rather do what God says and not see results and know that I please the Lord. Maybe you've knocked on 25, 30 doors this week and nobody's come. The great commission is not go and see results. It's go. If you went, you did. You obeyed. Jeremiah preached and didn't see results. I'm saying this morning that it's not about what we see down here. It's, I tell you, life can be summed up in one thing for a Christian, and it's this obedience to the Word of God. Am I doing what God said? I don't think there's nothing mystical about serving God. I don't think there's nothing sensational. There's not anything that, that, that you know, we're looking for the supernatural. When God said, don't look out here. Don't look for the miracles. Don't look for the supernatural. Just look in the book and just do what the book says and obey the book. God gave us a book, and I want to tell you, that's the greatest miracle of all is that we have have a book. We have a Bible. We ought to read it and study it and live by it. And if you've never seen God, if he never revealed one thing to you, if you spent your whole life living by the book, I promise you, you won't be sorry on the other side. I want to ask you this morning, are you living in sin? You see, you can live in sin and be in church this morning. You can live in sin and be singing in the choir teaching a Sunday school class. Sin doesn't have to be drinking and smoking and chewing and all these other things and playing the lottery and adultery. Sin could be jealousy, envy, bitterness, malice. It could be gossip. It could be, uh, it could be just a number of things, covetousness. It, it, you don't even got to have anything, but if you love money, you may not have it, but if you love it and you want it, it could be a number of materialistic things. If you're driven by those things, it, it could be discouragement, worry, uh, choosing to live your whole life. Just a little bit of sin poison the whole system. The seriousness of this text and I'm through this morning is simply this. He never came back. He never found his way back. I want to tell you, Cain trotted the path of his father, but only deeper. And he took other people with him. Can I tell you this morning, that's the thing about sin, the solitude of it is that it drives you further. Cain was driven so far, he never found his way back. I wish this morning, Brother Dwayne, I would like to say this morning, there are people that we're praying for and I want to see them come back. And I believe they can. But can I just be real honest with you this morning? Most of them ever do. That's something to think about this morning. Can they come back? Yes. Should we keep praying for them? Absolutely. Should we believe God to bring them back? Yes. But most of them never come back. That ought to be a warning to me this morning. The sin could drive me so far. Most of them never find their way back. And those who do, and they find mercy and they find grace, thank God for that. But they never come back the same. You think about that. They never come back the same. Do they get their joy back? Sure they do. They got the scars. I know it'd be easy not to preach that this morning, but I think they ought to hear it. I think we all ought to hear it this morning. You give out, get out and live in sin, and sin drives you away. Yes, you can find your joy. Yes, you can go back and serve God. I believe every bit of that, but you will bear the scars. 
You'll live with a regret. Don't ever come, don't ever say, I, I, don't ever say your life is better as a result of your sinful living. Because as good as it may be now, because it's God's grace, it's God's mercy is what it is that you're enjoying. But it would have, mark it down, it would have been better had it never have happened. Is that right this morning? I want to say this morning, think of, oh, this is the burden of my heart today. Our heads are bowed, eyes are closed, we're standing. Would you do inventory this morning? A little leaven is all it takes. You better search your heart this morning. You just let a little something get in there. Oh, the devil will churn it like butter, friend. He'll stir it till it's as smooth as silk and you just know the problem's not you. It can't be you. It can't be you. It's this, it's that. He'll, he's got a bag full of good excuses. Well, if you could just go this way, if you could just do this, oh, you talk about this is what you need to do. He'll start that finger pointing. I have no idea why I'm preaching the message this morning, but the Holy Ghost knows. And what he's doing, he's pushing you inch by inch. He's pushing you into a place you don't need to be in. Brother David's going to sing. Folks have come. You obey God this morning.